Truth in the Inward Parts, Volume 2, The Journal of George Fox, Part 1 of 2. That all may know the dealings of the Lord with me, and the various exercises, trials, and troubles through which he led me, in order to prepare and fit me for the work unto which he had appointed me, and may thereby be drawn to admire and glorify his infinite wisdom and goodness, I think fit before I proceed to set forth my public travels in the service of truth, briefly to mention how it was with me in my youth, and how the work of the Lord began and was gradually carried on in me, even from my childhood. I was born in the month called July, 1624, at Drayton in the Clay, in Leicestershire. My father's name was Christopher Fox. He was by profession a weaver, an honest man, and there was a seed of God in him. The neighbors called him Righteous Christer. My mother was an upright woman. Her maiden name was Mary Lago, of the family of the Lagos, and of the stock of the martyrs. In my very young years, I had a gravity and steadiness of mind and spirit that is not usual in children, insomuch that when I saw old men behave lightly and loosely towards each other, I had a disliking to it raised in my heart, and I said within myself, If I ever come to be a man, surely I shall not do so, nor be so loose and careless." When I came to eleven years of age, I knew pureness and righteousness, for while still a child I was taught how to walk in such a way as to be kept pure. The Lord taught me to be faithful in all things, and to act faithfully two ways, both inwardly to God and outwardly to man, and to keep to yes and no in all things. For the Lord showed me that, though the people of the world have mouths full of deceit and changeable words— Yet I was to keep to yes and no in all things, and that my words should be few and savory, seasoned with grace. And I saw that I should not eat and drink to excess, but only for health, using the created things in their proper service as servants in their places to the glory of him that created them, they being in their covenant, and I being brought up into the covenant, and sanctified by the word which was in the beginning, by which all things are upheld, and wherein there is unity with the creation. But people being strangers to the covenant of life with God, they eat and drink without restraint, wasting created things upon their own lusts, and living in all filthiness, loving foul ways, and devouring the creation. All of this I saw to be in the world, and in its pollutions apart from God, and so I was to shun all such things. Afterwards, as I grew up, my relations thought to make me a priest, but others persuaded them to the contrary, whereupon I was put apprentice to a man, a shoemaker by trade, but who also dealt in wool and was a farmer and sold cattle, and a great deal of goods went through my hands. While I was with him he was blessed, but after I left him he broke and came to nothing. I never wronged man or woman in all that time, for the Lord's power was with me and over me to preserve me. While I was in that service I used the word verily in my dealings with men, and it was a common saying among the people that knew me, If George says verily, there is no changing him. When boys and rude people would laugh at me, I left them alone and went my way. But people generally had a love to me for my innocency and honesty. When I came towards nineteen years of age, being upon business at a fair, one of my cousins, whose name was Bradford, a professor of Christianity, Footnote. The word professor is used throughout the writings of early friends to refer to those who profess faith in Christ. Here the word has nothing to do with teachers or scholars. Returning to text. And having another professor with him, came to me and asked me to drink part of a jug of beer with them. I, being thirsty, went in with them, for I loved any that had a sense of good or that sought after the Lord. When we had each drunk a glass— they began to drink toasts to one another, calling for more beer, and agreeing together that he who would not drink should pay for all. I was grieved that any who made profession of religion should act in such a way. Indeed, they grieved me very much, having never had such a thing suggested to me before by any sort of Christian people. Accordingly, I rose up to go, and putting my hand into my pocket, I laid a silver coin on the table before them, and said, If it must be so, I will leave you. So I went away, and when I had done the business I had to do, I returned home, but did not go to bed that night, nor could I sleep, 
but sometimes walked up and down, and sometimes prayed and cried to the Lord, who then said unto me, You see how young people go together into vanity, and old people go into the earth. You must forsake all, both young and old, and keep out of all, and be a stranger unto all. Therefore, at the command of God, on the ninth day of the seventh month, 1643, I left my relations and broke off all familiarity or fellowship with old or young. I passed into Lutterworth, where I stayed some time, and from there to Northampton, where also I made some stay. From there I went to Newport Pagnell, where, after I stayed a while, I went to Barnett in the fourth month, called June, in 1644. Footnote. Until 1752, March was considered the first month of the year in all of England and its colonies. Returning to text. As I thus traveled through the country, professors took notice and sought to be acquainted with me, but I was afraid of them, for I was sensible that they did not possess what they professed. Now, during the time I was at Barnett, a strong temptation to despair came upon me. Then I saw how Christ was tempted, and I was in great troubles. Sometimes I kept myself retired in my chamber, and often walked alone in the open fields to wait upon the Lord. I wondered why these things should come upon me, and I looked upon myself and said, Was I ever this way before? Then I thought, Perhaps because I had forsaken my relations, I had done wrong against them. So I was brought to call to mind all the time that I had thus spent, and to consider whether I had wronged any. But temptations grew more and more, and I was tempted almost to despair. And when Satan could not effect his design upon me that way, he laid snares for me and baits to draw me to commit some sin, whereby he might take advantage to bring me to despair. I was about twenty years of age when these exercises came upon me, and I continued in that condition for some years, in great trouble, and eagerly would have put it away from me. I went to many a priest to look for comfort, but found no comfort from them. From Barnett I went to London, where I took a lodging, and was under great misery and trouble there. For I looked upon the great Christian professors of the city, and I saw that all was dark, and under the chain of darkness. I had an uncle there named Pickering, a Baptist, and they were a tender people then. Yet I could not open my mind to him, nor join with them, for I saw all, young and old, where they were. Some tender people desired me to stay, but I was fearful, and returned homewards into Leicestershire again, having a regard upon my mind towards my parents and relations, lest I should grieve them, who, I understood, were troubled at my absence. When I had come down into Leicestershire, my relations desired me to marry, but I told them I was but a lad and must get wisdom. Others would have had me join the auxiliary band amongst the soldiers, but I refused, and I was grieved that they would propose such things for me, being a tender youth. Then I went to Coventry, where I took a chamber for a while at a professor's house, until people began to be acquainted with me, for there were many tender people in that town. After some time, I went into my own country again, and was there about a year, in great sorrows and troubles, and walked many nights by myself. Then the priest of Drayton, the town of my birth, whose name was Nathaniel Stevens, came often to me, and I went often to him, and another priest sometimes came with him. They would give place to hear me, and I would ask them questions and reason with them. And this priest Stevens asked me why Christ cried out upon the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why he said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I told him that at that time the sins of all mankind were upon him, and their iniquities and transgressions with which he was wounded, which he was to bear, and for which he was to be an offering, according as he was man but he died not according as he was God. And so, in that he died for all men, and tasted death for every man, he was an offering for the sins of the whole world. This I spoke, being at that time in a measure sensible of Christ's sufferings, and what he went through. And the priest said it was a very good, full answer, and such a one as he had not heard. At that time he would applaud and speak highly of me to others, and what I said in discourse to him on weekdays, he would then preach on first days for which I did not like him. This priest afterwards became my great persecutor. After this, I went to another ancient priest at Mansetter in Warwickshire and reasoned with him about the ground of despair and temptations. 
but he was ignorant of my condition and told me to take tobacco and sing psalms. Tobacco was a thing I did not love, and I was not in a state to sing psalms. Indeed, I could not sing. He told me to come again, and then he would tell me many things. But when I came, he was angry and irritable, for my former words had displeased him. He told my troubles, sorrows, and griefs to his servants, which grieved me that I had opened my mind to such a man. I saw that they were all miserable comforters, and this brought my troubles more upon me. Then I heard of a priest living in Tamworth who was accounted an experienced man, and I went seven miles to him, but I found him to be like an empty, hollow cask. I also heard of a man called Dr. Craddock of Coventry and went to see him. I asked him the ground of temptations and despair and how troubles came to be wrought in man. He asked me, Who was Christ's father and mother? I told him, Mary was his mother, and that he was thought to be the son of Joseph, but he was the son of God. Now, as we were walking together in his garden, the alley being narrow, in turning, I unintentionally set my foot upon the side of a flower bed, at which the man flew into a rage as if his house had been on fire. Thus all our discourse was lost, and I went away in sorrow, feeling worse than I did when I came. I thought them miserable comforters, and saw they were all as nothing to me, for they could not reach my condition. After this, I went to another, a man named Macam, a priest in high regard. He desired to give me medicine and to bleed me, but they could not get one drop of blood from me, either in my arms or head, though they endeavored to do so, my body being, as it were, dried up with sorrows, grief, and troubles, which were so great upon me that I could have wished I had never been born, or that I had been born blind, that I might never have seen wickedness or vanity, and deaf, that I might never have heard vain and wicked words, or the Lord's name blasphemed. When the time called Christmas came, while others were feasting and sporting themselves, I looked for poor widows from house to house and gave them some money. When I was invited to marriages, as I sometimes was, I went to none at all. But the next day, or soon after, I would go and visit the couple, and if they were poor, I gave them some money. For I had enough both to keep myself from being chargeable to others and to administer something to the necessities of those who were in need. About the beginning of the year 1646, as I was going to Coventry and approaching towards the gate, a consideration arose in me how it was said that all Christians are believers, both Protestants and Catholics. And the Lord opened to me that they were only believers who were born of God and had passed from death to life, and that none were true believers but such as these. And though many others said they were believers, yet they were not. At another time, as I was walking in a field on a first day morning, the Lord opened to me that being educated at Oxford or Cambridge was not enough to fit and qualify men to be ministers of Christ. And I wondered at this, because it was the common belief of people. But I saw it clearly as the Lord opened it to me, and I was satisfied and admired the goodness of the Lord who had opened this thing unto me that morning. I saw that this struck at the priest's ministry, but my relations were much troubled that I would not go with them to hear the priest for I would go into the orchards or the fields with my Bible by myself. I asked them, Did not the apostles say to the believers that they needed no man to teach them, but the anointing teaches them concerning all things? And though they knew this was scripture, and that it was true, yet they were grieved, because I could not be subject in this matter, and go to hear the priest with them. I saw that to be a true believer was another thing than what they looked upon it to be. And I saw that being educated at Oxford or Cambridge did not qualify or fit a man to be a minister of Christ. Why then should I follow such men? So I could not join with these, nor with any of the dissenting people, but was a stranger to all, relying wholly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Footnote. By dissenting people, he means those who dissented from the National Church of England. Returning to text. At another time it was opened in me that God, who made the world, did not dwell in temples made with hands. This at first seems a strange word, because both priests and people used to call their temples or churches dreadful places, holy ground, and the temples of God. But the Lord showed me clearly that he did not dwell in these temples which man had conceived and set up, but in people's hearts, 
For both Stephen and the Apostle Paul bore testimony that he did not dwell in temples made with hands, not even in that temple which he had once commanded to be built, since he had put an end to it, but that his people were his temple, and he dwelt in them. This opened in me as I walked in the fields to my relations house. When I came there, they told me that Nathaniel Stevens, the priest, had been there and told them he was afraid of me for going after new lights. I smiled to myself, knowing what the Lord had opened in me concerning him and his brethren, but I did not tell it to my relations, who though they saw beyond the priests, yet they went to hear them, and were grieved because I would not go also. But I showed them scriptures, and told them there was an anointing within man to teach him, and that the Lord would teach his people himself. Now, though I had great openings, yet great trouble and temptation came upon me many times, so that when it was day, I wished for night, and when it was night, I wished for day. And because of the openings which I had in my troubles, I could say, as David said, Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. When I had openings, they corresponded to one another, and also corresponded to the Scriptures, for I had great openings of the Scriptures. And when I was in troubles, one trouble also corresponded to another. About the beginning of the year 1647, I was moved of the Lord to go into Derbyshire, where I met with some friendly people and had many discourses with them. Then, passing further into the peak country, I met with more friendly people and with some who were in empty and proud notions. Traveling on through some parts of Leicestershire and into Nottinghamshire, I met with a tender-hearted people and a very tender woman whose name was Elizabeth Hooton, and with these I had some meetings and discourses. But my troubles continued, and I was often under great temptations. I fasted much and walked abroad in solitary places many days, and often took my Bible and went and sat in hollow trees and lonesome places until night came on. And in the night I frequently walked mournfully about by myself, for I was a man of sorrows in the times of the Lord's first working in me. During all this time I never joined in religious profession with any, but gave myself up to the Lord, having forsaken all evil company and taken leave of father and mother and all other relations, I traveled up and down as a stranger in the earth, whichever way the Lord inclined my heart, taking a chamber to myself in the town where I came, and tarrying sometimes a month, more or less, in a place. But I dared not stay long in any one place, being afraid of both professors and profane, lest, being a tender young man, I should be hurt by conversing much with either. For this reason I kept myself much as a stranger, seeking heavenly wisdom and getting knowledge from the Lord, and so was brought off from outward things, to rely wholly upon the Lord alone. Though my exercises and troubles were very great, yet they were not so constant that I had no intermissions, for sometimes I was brought into such a heavenly joy that I thought I had been in Abraham's bosom. And as I cannot declare the misery I was in, it was so great and heavy upon me, so neither can I set forth the mercies of God unto me in all my misery." Oh, the everlasting love of God to my soul, when I was in great distress, when my troubles and torments were great, then his love was exceedingly great. You, Lord, make a fruitful field a barren wilderness, and a barren wilderness a fruitful field. You bring down and raise up, you kill and make alive. All honor and glory be to you, O Lord of glory, for the knowledge of you in the Spirit is life but that knowledge which is fleshly works death. While there is this knowledge in the flesh, self-will and deceit will conform to anything, and man will say yes, yes, to that which he does not know. The knowledge which the world has of what the prophets and apostles spoke is a fleshly knowledge, and those who have apostated from that life in which the prophets and apostles lived have learned their words, the Holy Scriptures, in an outward way but not in that life or spirit that gave them forth. For they all lie in confusion and are making provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts, but do not fulfill the law and command of Christ in his own power and spirit. This, they say, they cannot do, but to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, that they can do with delight. 
Now, after I had received that opening from the Lord that to be educated at Oxford or Cambridge was not sufficient to fit a man to be a minister of Christ, I regarded the priests less and looked more towards the dissenting people. Among them I saw that there was some tenderness, and many of them came afterwards to be convinced of the truth, for they had some openings. But even as I had forsaken the priests, so I left the separate preachers also, and those esteemed the most experienced people, for I saw there was none among them that could speak to my condition. When all my hopes in them and in all men were gone, so that I had nothing outwardly to help me, nor could I tell what to do, then, oh then, I heard a voice which said, There is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to your condition. And when I heard it, my heart did leap for joy. Then the Lord let me see why there was none upon the earth that could speak to my condition, namely, that I might give him all the glory, for all are concluded under sin and shut up in unbelief, as I had been, so that Jesus Christ might have the preeminence who enlightens and gives grace, faith, and power. Thus, when God does work, who shall hinder it? And this I knew experientially. My desires after the Lord grew stronger, and my zeal for the pure knowledge of God and of Christ alone, without the help of any man, book, or writing. For though I read the scriptures that spoke of Christ and of God, yet I knew him not except by revelation, according as he who had the key did open to me, and as the Father of life drew me to his Son by his Spirit. Then the Lord gently led me along and let me see his love, which was endless and eternal, surpassing all the knowledge that men have in their natural state or can obtain from history or books. And that love let me see myself as I was without him. I was afraid of all company, for I saw them perfectly where they were, through the love of God which had let me see myself. So I had no fellowship with any people, priests or professors, or any sort of separated people, but only with Christ, who has the key, and opened the door of light and life unto me. I was afraid of all carnal talk and talkers, for I could see nothing but corruptions, and how the life lay under the burden of corruptions. When I myself was in the deep, shut up under all, I could not believe that I would ever overcome, for my troubles, my sorrows, and my temptations were so great that I thought many times I would have despaired, I was so tempted. But when Christ opened to me, how he was tempted by the same devil, and overcame him and bruised his head, and that through him and his power, light, grace, and spirit, I should overcome also, then I had confidence in him. So it was he who opened to me when I was shut up and had no hope or faith. Christ, who had enlightened me, gave me his light to believe in. He gave me hope, which he himself revealed in me, and he gave me his spirit and grace, which I found sufficient in the deeps and in weakness. Thus, in the deepest miseries and in the greatest sorrows and temptations that many times beset me, the Lord in his mercy did keep me. I found that there were two thirsts in me, the one after created things, to get help and strength there, and the other after the Lord, the Creator, and His Son, Jesus Christ. I saw that all the world could do me no good, and if I had had a king's diet, palace, and servants, all would have been as nothing, for nothing gave me comfort but the Lord by His power. I saw how the professors, priests, and people were whole and at ease in the very condition which was my misery, and they loved that which I longed to be rid of. But the Lord stayed my desires upon himself, from whom came my help, and my care was cast upon him alone. Therefore, all wait patiently upon the Lord, whatsoever condition you are in. Wait in the grace and truth that came by Jesus. For if you do so, there is a promise to you, and the Lord God will fulfill it in you. Blessed are all who indeed hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied with it. I have found it so. Praised be the Lord who fills with it and satisfies the desires of the hungry soul. Oh, let the house of spiritual Israel say, His mercies endure forever. It is the great love of God to make a barren wilderness out of that which is pleasant to the outward eye and fleshly mind, 
and to make a fruitful field of a barren wilderness. This is the great work of God. But while people's minds run into the earth after created and changeable things, changeable ways and religions, and changeable, uncertain teachers, their minds are in bondage. For then they themselves are changeable, tossed up and down with windy doctrines and thoughts and notions of things, and their minds are outside of the unchangeable truth in the inward parts, the light of Jesus Christ, which would keep them bound to that which is unchangeable. He is the way to the Father, and in all my troubles he preserved me by his spirit and power. Praised be his holy name forever. Again I heard a voice which said, You serpent, you seek to destroy the life, but cannot, for the sword which guards the tree of life shall destroy you. So Christ, the word of God, who bruised the head of the serpent, the destroyer, preserved me, my inward mind being joined to his good seed, which bruises the head of the serpent, the destroyer. This inward life sprung up in me and enabled me to answer all the opposing professors and priests and brought scriptures to my memory with which to refute them. At another time, I saw the great love of God and I was filled with admiration at the infinitude of it. I saw what was cast out from God and what entered into God's kingdom and how by Jesus, the opener of the door with his heavenly key, the entrance was given. And I saw death, how it had passed upon all men and oppressed the seed of God in man and in me, and how I, in the seed, came forth, and also what the promise of God was too. Yet it was still such with me that there seemed to be two pleading within me. Then questions arose in my mind about gifts and prophecies, and I was tempted again to despair, as if I had sinned against the Holy Spirit. I was in great perplexity and trouble for many days, yet I still gave up myself to the Lord. One day, when I had been walking solitarily abroad and had come home, I was wrapped up in the love of God so that I could not help but admire the greatness of His love. While I was in that condition, it opened unto me by the eternal light and power, and I saw clearly that all was done and is to be done in and by Christ. And I saw how he conquers and destroys this tempter, the devil, and all his works, and is above him, and that all these troubles were good for me and were temptations for the trial of my faith which Christ had given me. The Lord opened my eyes so that I saw through all these troubles and temptations, and my living faith was raised, and I saw how all was done by Christ, the life, and so my belief was in him. When at any time my condition was veiled, my secret belief was stayed firm, and hope underneath held me as an anchor in the bottom of the sea, anchoring my immortal soul to its bishop, and causing it to swim above the sea, that is, above the world, where all the raging waves, foul weather, tempests, and temptations are. But oh, then I saw my troubles, trials, and temptations more clearly than I had ever seen them. As the light appeared, all appeared that is outside of the light, darkness, death, temptations, the unrighteous, the ungodly, all was manifest and seen in the light. After this, a pure fire appeared in me, and I saw how Christ sat as a refiner's fire and as a fuller's soap, and spiritual discerning came to me by which I could discern my own thoughts, groans, and sighs, and see what it was that veiled me and what it was that opened me. That which could not abide in the patience, nor endure the fire. In the light, I found it to be the groans of the flesh, which could not give up to the will of God. It was this which had so veiled me that I could not be patient in all trials, troubles, and perplexities, and could not give up self to die by the cross, which is the power of God, so that that which is living and quickened might follow him, and that which would cloud and veil from the presence of Christ which the sword of the Spirit cuts down and which must die, might not be kept alive. I discerned also the groans of the Spirit, which opened me and made intercession to God, in which Spirit is the true waiting upon God for the redemption of the body and of the whole creation. By this Spirit, in which the true sighing is experienced, I saw over all the false sighings and groanings. And by this invisible Spirit, I also discerned all the false hearing, 
the false seeing and the false smelling, which had risen up in man above the spirit, quenching and grieving it. And I saw that all that lived here were in confusion and deceit, where there is a false asking and false praying in that nature and tongue that takes God's holy name in vain, wallows in the Egyptian sea, and asks, but does not receive. For they hate his light, resist the Holy Spirit, turn grace into licentiousness, rebel against the Spirit, and have erred from the faith in which they should ask, and from the Spirit by which they should pray. He that knows these things in the true Spirit can experience them. The divine light of Christ manifests all things. The spiritual fire tries all things and divides all things. Several things I then saw as the Lord opened them to me, for he showed me that which can live in his holy refining fire and can live to God under his law. He made me sensible how the law and the prophets were unto John and how the least in the everlasting kingdom of God is greater than John. The pure and perfect law of God is over the flesh to keep it and its works, which are not perfect, under by the perfect law. And the law of God that is perfect is in agreement with the perfect gift of God and everyone. Footnote. By perfect gift, he means the measure of grace, light, or the seed of the kingdom that is sown into the hearts of men in order to save all who receive and obey it. Returning to text. This law the Jews and the prophets and John were to perform and do. No one knows the giver of this law but by the Spirit of God nor can any truly read it or hear its voice, but by the Spirit of God. He that can receive it, let him. John, who was the greatest prophet born of a woman, bore witness to the light with which Christ, the great heavenly prophet, has enlightened every man that comes into the world, John 1, 9, in order that they might believe in it and become children of light and so have the light of life and not come into condemnation. For the true belief stands in the light that condemns all evil and the devil, who is the prince of darkness, and seeks to draw out of the light into condemnation. They that walk in this light come to the mountain of the house of God, which is established above all mountains, and to God's teaching, who will teach them his ways. These things were opened to me in the light. I also saw the mountains burning up, and the rubbish, the rough and crooked ways and places made smooth and plain, that the Lord might come into his tabernacle. These things are to be found in man's heart. But to speak of these things being within seems strange to the rough and crooked and mountainous ones. Yet the Lord says, O earth, hear the word of the Lord. The law of the Spirit runs contrary to the fleshly mind, spirit, and will, which lives in disobedience and does not keep within the law of the Spirit. I saw how this law was the pure love of God, which was upon me and which I must go through, though I was troubled while I was under it. For I could not be dead to the law, but through the law, Galatians 2.19, which did judge and condemn all that is to be condemned. And I saw how many talked of the law who had never known the law to be their schoolmaster, and many talked of the gospel of Christ, who had never known life and immortality brought to light in them by it. You, who have been under that schoolmaster and under the condemnation of it, know these things. For though the Lord in that day opened these things unto me in secret, they have since been preached by his eternal spirit as upon the housetops. And as you are brought into the law and through the law become dead to it, and witness the righteousness of the law fulfilled in you, so you will afterwards come to know what it is to be brought into the faith, and then through faith brought out from under the law, and so abiding in the faith, of which Christ is the author, you will have peace and access to God. But if you look out from the faith, and away from that which would keep you in the victory, and look after fleshly things or words, you will be brought again into bondage to the flesh and to the law, which takes hold upon the flesh and sin and works wrath, and the works of the flesh will appear again. The law of God takes hold upon the law of sin and death. 
but the law of faith or the law of the spirit of life, which is the love of God that comes by Jesus, who is the end of the law for righteousness, makes free from the law of sin and death. No fleshly-minded man can know this law of life, yet they will tempt you to draw you away from the spirit into the flesh and so into bondage. Therefore, you who know the love of God and the law of his spirit and the freedom that is in Jesus Christ, stand fast in him, in that divine faith which he is the author of in you, and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. For the ministry of Christ Jesus and his teachings bring into liberty and freedom. But the ministry that is of man and by man, which stands in the will of man, brings into bondage and under the shadow of death and darkness. Therefore, none can be ministers of Christ Jesus unless they are in the eternal spirit, which was before the scriptures were given forth. For if they have not his spirit, they are none of his. Though they who hate it may still have enough of his light to condemn them, they can bring none into unity and fellowship in the spirit unless they be in it. For the seed of God is a burdensome stone to the selfish, fleshly, earthly will, which reigns in its own knowledge and understanding, which must perish, and in a wisdom that is devilish. And the Spirit of God is grieved and vexed and quenched with that which brings into fleshly bondage, and that which wars against the Spirit of God must be mortified by it. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. The flesh desires to have its liberty, and the spirit desires to have its liberty, but the spirit is to have its liberty and not the flesh. If, therefore, you quench the spirit and join to the flesh and become servants of it, then you are judged and tormented by the spirit of God. But if you join to the spirit and serve God in it, you have liberty and victory over the flesh and its works. Therefore, keep to the daily cross which is the power of God, by which you may witness all that to be crucified, which is contrary to the will of God, and shall not come into his kingdom. These things are here mentioned and opened for information, exhortation, and comfort to others, as the Lord opened them unto me in that day. And in that day I marveled that the children of Israel should murmur for water and food, for I could have fasted long without murmuring or minding food, but I was judged at other times, for not being content to go sometimes without the water and bread of life, that I might learn and know how to suffer need and how to abound. Passing on, I went among the professors at Duckingfield and Manchester, where I stayed a while and declared the truth among them. Some were convinced and received the Lord's teaching, by which they were confirmed and stood in the truth. But all the professors were in a rage, all pleading for sin and imperfection. Footnote. He means they were all insisting upon the necessity of man's continuing under the dominion of sin throughout the entire course of his life, returning to text, and could not endure to hear any talk of perfection and of a holy and sinless life. But the Lord's power was over all, though they were chained under darkness and sin, which they contended for, and quenched the tender thing in them. About this time there was a great meeting of the Baptists at Bowton in Leicestershire, with some that had separated from them. Many people of other persuasions went there, and I went also. Not many of the Baptists came, but many others were there. The Lord opened my mouth, and the everlasting truth was declared amongst them, and the power of the Lord was over them all. For in that day the Lord's power began to spring, and I had great openings in the Scriptures. Several were convinced in those parts, and were turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. And many were raised up to praise God. When I reasoned with professors and other people, some became convinced. I was still under great temptations sometimes, and my inward sufferings were heavy. But I could find none to open my condition to but the Lord alone, unto whom I cried night and day. I went back into Nottinghamshire, and there the Lord showed me that the natures of those things which were hurtful without were found within in the hearts and minds of wicked men, the natures of dogs, swine, vipers, of Sodom and Egypt, Pharaoh, Cain, Ishmael, Esau, etc., 
The natures of these I saw to be within, though people had been looking without. And I cried to the Lord, saying, Why should I be this way, seeing I was never addicted to commit those evils? And the Lord answered, That it was needful I should have a sense of all conditions, for how else should I speak to all conditions? And in this I saw the infinite love of God. I also saw that there was an ocean of darkness and death, but there was an infinite ocean of light and love which flowed over the ocean of darkness. In this also I saw the infinite love of God, and I had great openings. And as I was walking by the steeple house in Mansfield, the Lord said unto me, That which the people trample upon must be your food. And as the Lord spoke this, he opened it to me, that people and professors trampled upon the life, even the life of Christ. They fed upon words and fed one another with words, but they trampled upon the life, trampled underfoot the blood of the Son of God, which blood was my life, and they lived in their airy notions, talking of him. It seems strange to me at first that I should feed upon that which the proud professors of Christianity trampled upon, but the Lord opened it clearly to me by his eternal spirit and power. Then people came from far and near to see me, but I was fearful of being drawn out by them. Yet I was made to speak and to open things to them. There was a man named Brown, who had great prophecies and sights upon his deathbed of me. He spoke of what I should be made instrumental by the Lord to bring forth, and concerning others, who then were something in appearance, he spoke of how they should come to nothing, which was fulfilled in some. When this man was buried, a great work of the Lord fell upon me, to the admiration of many, who thought I had been dead, and many came to see me for about fourteen days. I was very much altered in countenance and person, as if my body had been molded anew or changed. While I was in that condition, I had a sense and discerning given to me by the Lord, through which I plainly saw that when many people talked of God and Christ, etc., it was the serpent that spoke in them. But this was hard to be borne. Yet the work of the Lord went on in some, and my sorrows and troubles began to wear off, and tears of joy dropped from me, so that I could have wept night and day with tears of joy to the Lord, and humility and brokenness of heart. I saw into that which was without end, things which cannot be uttered, and of the greatness and infinitude of the love of God, which cannot be expressed by words. For I had been brought through the very ocean of darkness and death, and through and over the power of Satan, by the eternal glorious power of Christ, even through that darkness which covered over all the earth, and which chained down all, and shut up all in death. The same eternal power of God which brought me through these things was that which afterwards shook the nations, priests, professors, and people. Then I could say I had been in spiritual Babylon, Sodom, Egypt, and the grave, but by the eternal power of God I had come out of it and was brought over it and the power of it into the power of Christ. I saw how the harvest was white and the seed of God lay thick in the ground as ever wheat did that was sown outwardly, and I mourned with tears that there was none to gather it. A report went abroad concerning me that I was a young man that had a discerning spirit, whereupon many came to me from far and near, professors, priests, and people, the Lord's power broke forth, and I had great openings and prophecies, and spoke to them of the things of God, which they heard with attention and silence, and went away, and spread the fame thereof. Then came the tempter, and set upon me again, charging me that I had sinned against the Holy Spirit, but I could not tell in what. Then Paul's condition came before me, how, after he had been taken up into the third heavens, and seen things not lawful to be uttered, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him. Thus, by the power of Christ, I got over that temptation also. In the year 1648, as I was sitting in a friend's house in Nottinghamshire, for by this time the power of God had opened the hearts of some to receive the word of life and reconciliation, I saw there was a great crack that would go throughout the earth, and a great smoke to go along as the crack went, and that after the crack there should be a great shaking. This, I saw, was the earth in people's hearts, which was to be shaken before the seed of God was raised out of the earth. And it was so, for the Lord's power began to shake them, 
and we began to have great meetings, and there was a mighty power and work of God amongst the people, to the astonishment of both people and priests. Then there was a meeting of priests and professors at a justice's house, and I went among them. Here they discoursed about how Paul said, He had not known sin, but by the law, which said, You shall not lust. And they believed this to be spoken of the outward law. But I told them, Paul spoke these words after he was convinced, for he had the outward law before, and was brought up in it, even when he was still in the lust of persecution. But here he spoke of the law of God in his mind, which he served, and against which the law of his members waged war. For that which he thought had been life to him proved death. So the more sober of the priests and professors yielded, and consented that it was not the outward law, but the inward, which showed the inward lust, which Paul spoke of after he was convinced. For the outward law takes hold upon the outward action, but the inward law takes hold upon the inward lust. After this I went again to Mansfield, where there was a great meeting of professors and people. Here I was moved to pray, and the Lord's power was so great that the house seemed to be shaken. When I had finished, some of the professors said it was now as in the days of the apostles, when the house was shaken where they were. After I had prayed, one of the professors prayed, which brought deadness and a veil over them. And others of the professors were grieved at him and told him it was a trial upon him. Then he came to me and desired that I would pray again, but I could not pray in man's will. Soon after this there was another great meeting of professors, and a captain, whose name was Amor Stoddard, came in. They were discoursing about the blood of Christ, and as they spoke of it, I saw the blood of Christ through the immediate opening of the invisible spirit, and I cried out among them and said, Do you not see the blood of Christ? See it in your hearts, to sprinkle your hearts and consciences from dead works to serve the living God. For I saw it, the blood of the new covenant, how it came into the heart. This startled the professors, who desired to have the blood only without them and not within them. But Captain Stoddard was reached, and he said, Let the youth speak, hear the youth speak, when he saw how they endeavored to bear me down with many words. There was also a company of priests that were looked upon as being tender. One of their names was Kellett, and several people that were tender-hearted went to hear them. I was moved to go after them and bid them to mind the Lord's teaching in their inward parts. This priest, Kellett, was against parsonages then, but afterwards he got a large one and turned a persecutor. Now, after I had had some service in these parts, I went through Derbyshire into my own country, Leicestershire, again, and several tender-hearted people were convinced. Passing through there, I met with a great company of professors in Warwickshire who were praying and expounding the scriptures in the fields. They gave the Bible to me, and I opened it to the fifth of Matthew, where Christ expounded the law. And I opened to them the inward state and the outward state, upon which they fell into a fierce contention and so parted. Nevertheless, the Lord's power got ground. Then I heard of a great meeting to be held for a dispute at Leicester, wherein Presbyterians, Independents, Baptists, and common prayer men were all said to be involved. The meeting was in a steeple house, and there I was moved by the Lord to go and to be amongst them. I heard their discourse and reasonings, some being in the pews and the priest being in the pulpit, with an abundance of people being gathered together. At last one woman asked a question out of Peter. What birth was Peter describing when he spoke of being born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever? And the priest said to her, I permit not a woman to speak in the church though he had before given liberty for any to speak. Whereupon I was wrapped up, as in a rapture, in the Lord's power, and I stepped up and asked the priest, Do you call this building a church, or do you call this mixed multitude a church? For the woman, having asked a question, he ought to have answered it, having given liberty for any to speak. But instead of answering me, he asked me what a church was. I told him, The church is the pillar and ground of truth, made up of living stones, living members, a spiritual household, of which Christ is the head. But he is not the head of a mixed multitude, or of an old house made up of lime, stones, and wood. This set them all on fire. The priest came down out of his pulpit, 
and others came out of their pews, and the dispute there was marred. But I went to a large inn, and there disputed the thing with the priests and professors of all sorts, and they were all on fire. But I maintained the true church, and the true head thereof, over the heads of them all, till they all gave out and fled away. One man seemed loving, and appeared for a while to join with me, but he soon turned against me, and joined with a priest in contending for infant's baptism, though he himself had been a Baptist before, and so left me alone. Howbeit, there were several convinced that day. The woman that asked the question was convinced, along with her family, and the Lord's power and glory shone over all. After this, I went into Nottinghamshire, and went into the Vale of Belvoir. As I went, I preached repentance to the people, and there were many convinced in the Vale of Belvoir, and many of its towns, for I stayed some weeks amongst them. One morning, as I was sitting by the fire, a great cloud came over me, and a temptation beset me. But I sat still, and it was said to me, All things come about by nature. And then the elements and stars came over me, so that I was in a manner quite clouded with it. But being still and silent, the people of the house perceived nothing, and as I sat still under it, and let it alone, soon a living hope arose in me, and a true voice, which said, There is a living God who made all things. And immediately the cloud and temptation vanished away, and life rose up over it all. My heart was glad, and I praised the living God. After some time I met with some people who had a notion that there was no God, but that all things came about by nature. I had a great dispute with them, and overturned them, and made some of them confess that there is a living God. Then I saw it was good that I had gone through that exercise. We had large meetings in those parts, for the power of the Lord broke through in that part of the country. Returning to Nottinghamshire, I found there a company of shattered Baptists and others, and the Lord's power wrought mightily and gathered many of them. Afterwards I went to Mansfield and thereabouts, where the Lord's power was wonderfully manifested, both at Mansfield and in other neighboring towns. In Derbyshire, the mighty power of God wrought in a wonderful manner. At Eton, a town near Derby, there was a meeting of friends where there was such a mighty manifestation of the power of God that they were greatly shaken, and many mouths were opened in the power of the Lord God. Many were moved by the Lord to go to steeple houses, to the priests and to the people, to declare the everlasting truth unto them.